brother. Amen. Amen. And this is the most, one of the most touching expressions in the New Testament. God's good pleasure. Then based upon his will with his good pleasure, God formed his eternal purpose in Christ. So the purpose is his determined intention to gain what he wants, to fulfill the desire of his heart. We know from Matthew 4 and Matthew 17 that God's supreme delight is in his Son. And the function of the Son in the Godhead is to express the Father in glory and impart the divine life into the believers. Because God delights in his Son, the desire of God's heart is to bring forth on the earth a corporate expression of Christ the Son, who is the embodiment and expression of the triune God. So God's will, his good pleasure, his eternal purpose are one reality, and God wants to have a corporate expression of Christ and for this purpose, he created human beings. Amen. So his creation, revealed in Genesis 1, was the creation of a corporate person to fill the earth. And this corporate person was made in God's image and commissioned as God's representative to deal with his enemy. So the fact that we were created in God's image indicates expression. The fact that we were commissioned to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth indicates that God wanted to see on the earth everywhere the expression of himself in human beings. The term we used for the initial creation of this corporate man is simply the first man. Unfortunately, the enemy of God injected his sinful element into humankind, and the first man became the old man, subject to death, filled with deceit and corruption. And this is what fills the earth today. So this old man is the nullification of the first man. The old man just expresses the self. If you can bear to do it and listen to the talking heads on the station of your choice, you will see just a gross crass expression of the self. Right. 
everywhere, everywhere. So what is seen on the earth is not the expression of God in Christ, but the expression of Satan through the human self, especially through the mind uttering opinions. Well, God will never abandon his will, good pleasure, and purpose. So in the fullness of time, the seed of the woman came. The Lord himself said, the woman, don't consider her inferior. She was, Adam, the man, bears the responsibility. She was deceived. The man was not. Then out of the woman will come forth a seed, a descendant. So when God became a man, the God-man, he was designated to be the second man. In 1 Corinthians 15, the second man. And the second man, the Lord Jesus, Son of God and Son of Man, he personally fulfilled Genesis 1.26. He was the image of God, the expression of God. He himself actually was not only the king, but the kingdom of God. And he had the authority of God to deal with the enemy. The second man died on the cross to terminate the old man. But while he was dying on the cross, we know from Ephesians 2.15, he was creating in himself one new man. This is happening in the spiritual realm in the sight of God. It actually took place. Religion can only see the physical side of the cross. But we know from Colossians and Ephesians and other books, there's a spiritual dimension. Something was taking place in the spiritual realm. We know from Hebrews 2.14, the devil was being destroyed. We know from Colossians 2, the evil spirits, the principalities and powers were being defeated and put to shame. And Christ, while, while dying, was actively creating in himself one new man. And while he was creating, he was terminating the enmity, tearing down the middle wall of partition, and bringing forth what will be the peace of the new man. This is Ephesians 2.15. Now, the next step is this. The Bible, the New Testament, is really amazing. And God's revelation is asystematic. He didn't write a systematic theology. He revealed something here and something over here. Well, several hours before he died, the Lord had a long conversation with the 11, because Judas had left, the 11 apostles. He spoke to them of the Father's house, which is not heaven, but is the church. He spoke to them of the true vine and of the branches, which is really 
Christ with all the believers. Then in John 11, he said this in verses 20 and 21. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she gives birth, has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she brings forth the little child, she no longer remembers the affliction because of the joy that a man has been born into the world. You may wonder, what does this have to do with what she just mentioned from Ephesians 2.15? The new man created on the cross, according to John 2.15 is now the little child, the man that was about to be born. And who is the travailing mother? Believe it or not, that was these apostles. The religious world will rejoice. We terminated this one. They called him the deceiver. The disciples and especially the seeking sisters. The sisters are always deeper. They always love the Lord more. That's just the way they're designed. So as a whole, the men and the women that followed him were corporately a travailing mother. And then the resurrection was a birth. The Bible reveals this. Acts 13, 33. Christ in his humanity was born in resurrection to be the Son of God with humanity as well as divinity. 1 Peter 1, 3. All of us were regenerated in the resurrection of Christ. That is the reason that in John 20, the Lord has a brief conversation with this dear seeking sister, Mary, out of whom seven demons were cast. What a background. She was fully recovered. And she was there. I don't know where the brothers were. The sisters were there early in the morning, wanting the Lord, wanting to honor him by anointing his body. They found the tomb empty. They told the brothers, the brothers came running into the tomb, examined the data, stone rolled away, tomb empty, grave clothes here, face napkin here. We therefore infer from all of the data that Christ has been raised from the dead and they leave. But thank the Lord for Mary. She's not satisfied with mere objective data, stone, open tomb, grave clothes, napkin, she wants the Lord. Amen. And so I just treasure what some would call this irrational seeking, this desperate, loving seeking. And still today, the sisters have to take the lead in this. Okay? In this matter, we really respect your taking the lead. So the Lord was there. She didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. 
And so she asked him, you know, she, she's crying. He asked her why she's crying. She said, they've taken away my Lord. I don't, not know, I don't know where he is. Will you tell me where he is? I will take him and carry him away. Then he said her name. And then she knew, this is the Lord. And then he said this, go to my brothers. Where did the brothers come from? Before he died, there were no brothers. At the best, he said, you're friends. I call you friends. Well, how did he get brothers? And then I respectfully direct this question to, to Harvard Divinity School. Please pass it on for me. It's very clear from John 1.18 and John 3.16 that the Son is the only begotten Son. Am I right? The only begotten Son. Only begotten means the only. There isn't another one. But then this one who is the only begotten son says, go to my brothers. So how can the only begotten son have brothers, yet still remain the only begotten son in the Godhead? In the eternal Godhead, the son is the only begotten son, but God gave his only begotten son by incarnation, who died on the cross in the form of a serpent. He was made sin for us. Then in resurrection, he was designated Son of God, now in a second way, with humanity. His humanity was brought into the divine sonship. So resurrection, according to Acts 13.33, was a birth to this firstborn son. Now he's called the firstborn among many brothers. We were brought forth, and by the way, any recovering feminists here, we are recovering patriarchs, so you're recovering feminists. Okay, in Christ there's no male or female. When the Bible mentions brothers, that includes male and female believers. Just as when the Bible mentions the bride, it includes male and female believers. So God is really faithful. All the believers are brothers, all the sisters are brothers, and all of the brothers are part of the woman. So this is the new creation. Okay, that's just a sidebar. So what actually happened in the sight of God, and the enemy knows this, the old man was terminated. And everything related to the old man, especially the enmity, was terminated. In Christ on the cross, the new man was created. In his resurrection, the little child, the new man, was born. Now, so in the sight of God, this new man, this one new man, exists. 
But what is real in the view of God needs to be worked out in reality and practicality on the earth in this age. Because as we saw somewhat last night, it is the one new man who fulfills God's eternal purpose. And we'll see when we come in about 20 or 30 minutes to the outline that the Lord in his recovery, which we will define, he is recovering all the truths and experience related to the one new man so that we here and now can actually live out this corporate one new man. So each one of us, we may not have realized it, but when we believed into the Son of God and opened our heart to Him and called on Him or prayed to Him, He, as the Spirit, came into our human spirit. And we experienced a birth we were born from above. And the seed, the Bible uses the terms for seed, sperma and spora, the seed which the Lord was sowing, which is himself as life, was sown into our spirit. Now a person is inside of us. I was saved, surprisingly for me, just a few weeks before I turned 16. I was in a certain context for, and the Lord used that environment, and I confessed the Lord publicly, declared my belief in Him, and I didn't know it at the time, but He came into me. And about two weeks later, I was by myself. I was only 16. And I said to myself, there's, there's another person in me. That's how I put it. There's another person. I sense there's another person. But I had no one who could help me. I mean, to be honest, I mean, the... The ministers that were at hand, they couldn't help me. No one else in this particular denomination could help me. I didn't receive light for 11 years. I studied theology, won a prize in theology at Princeton. None of the theologians, they didn't help me. But a little man from Chifu, China, he really helped me. <clears throat> then I saw I have a spirit. And then when I believe into the Lord, calling on him, Christ as the spirit came into my spirit. And there was a birth. And now Christ wants to grow and be formed and be expressed 
So this is what happened in all of us. This is how all of us are part of this child, the new man that was born in Christ's resurrection. So, the enemy knows God will deal with him ultimately, thoroughly, not directly, but through human beings. First, through the God-man, Jesus. That is why in the first round of temptation described in Matthew 4, the devil tried to lure the Lord away from his standing as a man. If you are the son of God, aren't you the son of God? If you're the son of God, prove it by changing these stones into bread. And the Lord realized if he forsakes his standing as a human and responds in his standing as God, that would be a defeat because God directly will not deal with the enemy. So the Lord said, man shall not live on bread alone. I'm here as a man. So we pointed out this man, the second man, crucified the old man and created the new man who was brought forth in his resurrection. Now the enemy up to this very moment is actively trying to do two things. And he has been quite successful for a while. The first is to hide the truth just to hide the truth from virtually all believers. So that it's just not known. Then when it's released, the one releasing is in combat to overcome the resistance in the human mind to such a thought that a one new man exists in the sight of God and was brought forth in resurrection. But then with those mainly right now in the churches in the Lord's recovery who have some teaching concerning the one new man and maybe even some seeing the enemy has a different strategy and that is just to keep all of us in spiritual childhood. There's the child. But unless Christ grows in us to maturity, there will not be the manifestation of the one new man through the churches on the earth. So that is why the Lord covers me. This is a fact. It's not a boast of any kind. For perhaps almost 30 years, I've been burdened about and fighting for this one thing, 
that we would grow in life in a normal way. So what I've tried to present just now is related to the vision of the one new man. Now I want to present to you what I call lines of development. And there will be five of them. And these are experiences that will actually take place in us. It actually happens. All five things. But I want to preface my remarks by saying this is not an appeal to try to change yourself or to improve your behavior or to ask the Lord to make yourself better. All these are related to Christ as life living in you and growing in you as you love him, open to him, experience him, and enjoy him. But I emphasize these five lines of development have to actually take place. And when it comes down to it, and as the Lord will indicate on that day of judgment, it will be the overcomers in the churches who allow these five lines to develop. They will actually present themselves to the Lord, and I'll explain how to do this in such a way that in a period of time, there's a development along these five lines. This enables them to live the life corporately as the one new man, to express the Lord and represent him. And this enables them to care for a multitude of other human beings, to foster in them the same heart, the same spirit, the same love, the same seeking, and encourage them by saying, look, I'm a sinner saved by grace. These things happen to me by the Lord's mercy and grace. If the Lord can gain me, he can gain anybody. So the first line of development is the growth of the one new man. And Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 4 and in verse 13 he shows us the goal. And he says in this verse until we all arrive at a full grown man at the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So look how we grew up. We began our human life as a single fertilized cell. We developed in our mother's womb. In the sight of God, a person was dwelling there. It didn't become a person the moment it came out. It's a person in development. And then by the law of the human life, we went from one cell to a full-grown human. 
Nothing is more normal than this. And this is what will happen to the one new man. His development in us began with a conception. The rebirth was a conception. Then Christ is now in us as a real person. And Paul had this vision. We will all arrive at a full-grown man. And this has to happen among the seeking ones in this age on the earth. The notion that, oh well, it will happen when we're in heaven, that is a lie. That is a deception to lead us astray from the present need. And then the standard is the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is Christ's expression. With that fullness, there's a stature and there's a measure. So the goal of the divine life in our spirit is to bring all of us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Then in two verses later, Paul is more specific. But verse 15, but holding the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things who is the head Christ. So now Paul speaks of growing, but we're growing up. Don't we often use that expression? Grow up. We don't say grow down or grow sideways. We grow up. So there's a person who is the head of the body and the head of the universe. And Paul charges us to hold to truth in love. Not just hold the truth and not just have love, but to hold the truth in love. Then the divine life causes up to grow, us to grow up into Christ in all things. So what are the things? They are every detail of our human life. And I mentioned one of them, although I know it can be a little bit painful. So a thing, for example, is driving. Driving. Surely, in varying degrees, we spent significant part of our life behind a wheel. I, I, can't, I just don't know how people can bear to be in a suburb of Los Angeles and drive an hour in that traffic to get to work and to drive an hour at least back home. That is 20 hours a week. That is... 80 plus hours a month. That is getting close to a thousand hours a year. And in 30 years, that is 30,000 hours behind a wheel. Okay, that's a thing. Now, 
The old man, as we all know, from others driving and our reactions, the old man has his way of driving. But when I'm in my car, when I'm driving, should I just slide into the old creation, forget everything I ever prayed, everything I ever taught and ministered, and just be the same as an unbeliever, as an ungodly person, and be in the flesh, and be in the self? What a shame. Lord, I'm here. This is my actual life right now. And little things happen. Like, you, you know, you have the arrow, the left turn arrow. And when it turns green, you've got cars lined up to turn. Okay, I'm the ninth car. And my hope is that the drivers of the first eight still have reflexes. But again and again, I don't know where they are. And so... I am urging, I am urging them to go. I'm urging my car to go. And then it's red before I get there. And I'm doomed to spend the next three minutes there. This has happened too many times. And then the Lord indicates, this is a thing, Ron. This is a thing. Now you're here for the three minutes. What are you going to do? Just be disgruntled because of this? Or will you just turn to me and contact me and tell me you love me and sing to me or pray for someone for three minutes? So our life is full of things. I don't think I need to go on and on. So this is how we arrive at a full-grown man. If we're not growing up into Christ in specific things, we're not growing. We're not growing. Yes, growth is Christ increasing in us. But the increase of Christ in us needs to be manifested by our growing up into Christ in so many things. So this is the first line of development. And to me, the, the way to apply it is simply to realize only God can cause growth. So why not ask him every day to cause you to grow today a little more? Amen. What do you think he will say? If you say, Lord, please grant me today's measure of growth in life. I think he will say, no, I want you to remain infantile. That is sweet to him. Then, then, then forget about it. Don't try to measure yourself right away. Believe in that. Okay, the second line of development is being renewed in the spirit of the mind. That is Ephesians 4, 23. Verse 22 says, put off the old man. 24, put on the new man. But in between is this verse. Be renewed in the spirit of the mind. So you have in that verse the spirit of the mind. 
In a previous verse, around verse 17, you have this. This, therefore, I say and testify in the Lord, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the vanity of their mind. So the whole human race is living according to the mind. The vanity of the mind. And Paul says to the brothers, to the believers, no longer walk. That means this is how you lived. On the one hand, I have much respect for brilliant people, for the intellectuals at Harvard. I've moved in these circles. On the other hand, on the other hand, I realize it's all vanity of the mind. In the sight of God, vanity. Emptiness, meaningless. If you ever studied anything of the history of philosophy, the history of ideas, very intriguing, but vanity. So here's a word to us. In our actual living, will we live according to the vanity of the mind? Or are we willing to be renewed in the spirit of the mind? And the Lord needs to cover us here, but the mind is the battlefield. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of the mind. So it's very, very important that we cooperate with the Lord by giving him access to every facet of our mind and allow the mingled spirit to enter into and saturate our mind and to renew our mind. This is something that either happens or it doesn't happen. And I've been in the church life for a while, 51 years. I've seen dear saints in which this has happened and dear saints in which it never happened. Their whole church life. They, they were good. You could say they were good saints in an outward way. But you just realize the mind was never penetrated. It was never renewed. Because it's one new man. And newness is a divine element. We are becoming the same as God in the aspect of newness. We are a new creation. We are becoming new Jerusalem. So this is an actual line of development. The enemy is constantly trying to inject all kinds of memes, all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of concepts through media, into the mind. And people just start speaking them. I don't want to use an illustration. Where does it come from? It's not something that really originated with their own thought. Their mind was passively open. All kinds of things entered there. 
This is the vanity of the mind. And so, the Lord wants our mind to be keen, to be sharp, to be clear, to be precise, to be accurate, but not in the way of the old man. I do believe Paul was a genius. I believe he was exceedingly bright. How can you write a letter like Romans with the depth of that argument? Surely Brother Nee, he had a photographic memory. They tested him. Brother Samuel Chang told us we had a, pack of, a stack of newspapers and he read them like this. Then we questioned him in detail. He remembered everything. He, he read thousands of books to review the whole history of Christianity, practice, thought, experience. He remembered everything. Read the Bible hundreds of times. But the Lord renewed that mind. Amen. The enemy has used the intelligent minds to bring forth the most evil things in his kingdom. They have been the channels. Now the Lord will use the renewed mind to bring in the divine thought, the divine view, the divine understanding. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 that the inner man is being renewed day by day. So this is the second line of development, to be renewed in the spirit of the mind. And again, it's simple. The application is by simple, short personal prayers. Lord, I just open my mind to you. I give you access to my mind, to my thinking, to my memory, to my imagination, to my concepts. Lord, you have the free way to adjust anything in my mind. Renew my mind. Then you could pray from 1 Corinthians 2. Lord, make your mind my mind the mind of Christ. Paul told the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let it be in you. Okay. A third line of development follows the renewing. <clears throat> Our soul needs to be transformed. And we know from 2 Corinthians 3.18 we all, with unveiled face, behold and reflect the glory of the Lord. Where's the glory of the Lord? Read 2 Corinthians 4. The glory is in the face of Jesus Christ. And the face in which the glory is of the resurrected Christ is now in the person who is in your spirit right now. The resurrected Christ of glory is in your spirit right now. When you turn your heart to him, the veil is uplifted and inwardly, just right now, you just behold him. Lord, I just behold you. Beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord are being transformed 
into the same image, right? Into the same image. We're all distinct persons created by God deliberately with diversity for the full expression of Christ. Yet the same image is being formed in us. Amen. This formation takes place in the soul. The soul is the organ of expression. So what the Christ who's in our spirit wants to shine forth through our soul as the organ of expression. Because God's purpose primarily is to have a corporate expression. So we were created in the image of God. We know from Colossians 1.15, the image of God is Christ. Now we know from 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're being transformed into the same image. And then I read to you Colossians 3.10, And have put on the new man, which is being renewed unto full knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. So the renewing and the transforming go together. And it's just lovely. I just rejoice in the Lord. If I visit a country or a place after a couple years, like I did with the Philippines last week, then I see a dear brother from way down in a remote area, Zamboanga. You ever heard of it? Way down in Mindanao, Zamboanga. This brother is a Zamboangan, if there ever was one. And a group of brothers are together, and to listen to his prayer, I could almost cry with joy. What an increase of Christ. I'm not rapture ready. He's not rapture ready. But my, the image has been forming in him over the last two and a half years. Amen. How, how wonderful this is. And I see this everywhere. Okay, I don't flatter. I'm not a politician. I don't try to please man. But the image is also increasing among you all. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. So that's the third line of development. Then the fourth, I say this a little facetiously, to have just a little moment of levity. <clears throat> I have to tell you something really profound now. Ephesians chapter 3. comes in between Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4. Okay, I know. I know. That, that's deep. <laughs> but what's the point? Okay. In Ephesians 2, we have the creation of the one new man. In Ephesians 4, we have the putting on of the one new man. In Ephesians 3... We have a prayer. Paul was chained to a centurion. But he said, I bow my knees unto the Father. And I pray to the Father 
to strengthen you with power through his spirit into the inner man. That Christ may make his home in your hearts through faith. So what is the inner man? By creation, the human spirit was merely an organ. Like our eyes are an organ. The organ for contacting God and receiving God. But when we were regenerated, the Spirit of Christ, Christ himself, a person, came into our spirit. So because Christ, a person, is in our regenerated spirit, our spirit is now the inner man. That is actually the real you. So Paul realized in the believers there's a person, the inner man, the inner person. And the inner man needs to be strengthened so that Christ, the person, may make his home in our hearts. And this experience is is what Brother Lee repeatedly called the central work of God. The central work of God is to build Christ into our being. So we have the vision of the creation of the one new man in Ephesians 2. And we have the vision of the living out of the new man in Ephesians 4. To put off the old man is to put off the totality of the communal life, the social life, the cultural life, every aspect of the life of the old man. To put on the new man is to put on a totally new corporate living. It's a living in the new creation. It's a living in the church as the body of Christ. The church life is actually the corporate living of the one new man. We sang it. The church life is the one new man. It's one person manifest. But if we attempt to live differently, outwardly, to be differently, it won't work. If it works for a while, it's false. Something has to happen in our being. That's why Paul prayed. That is really the prayer of spiritual experience. Father, I bring all the believers to you. Strengthen them with power into their inner man. Make their inner man stronger than their outer man. So that Christ may make his home in their hearts. And that's not a vacation home. That's not a motel. It's where he lives. 
I've used this illustration a number of times, but I think it's okay to use it again. Not everyone has heard it. In my travels, I'm often received into the homes of saints. And they're very loving. The first thing I try to do is to set the sister at ease to tell her I have no special dietary needs. You can cook anything. If possible, please don't cook yak liver. <laughs> and so I just kind of set them at ease. <clears throat> and then they tell me, brother, make yourself at home. Let's suppose just one time I took them at their word. Okay. And so I'm in this home. <clears throat> And they have a 17-year-old daughter named Emily. They said, Brother Ron, Emily lets you have your, her room while you're here. Then they say, make yourself at home. So I say, okay, I think I'm going to do this. Then I come out of the room and tell the brother, will you take me to Ace Hardware? Why do you want to go to Ace Hardware? Well, I don't like the color pink in my room. I, I like a light green, okay? And then look. See, see the bed in my room? It's covered with stuffed animals. I'm supposed to sleep in a zoo. Please get rid of all these stuffed animals. Then look at the wall in my room, all these posters. Teenage girl idol posters? <laughs> Please remove them. Put in uh, Van Gogh. <laughs> Put in Edvard Munch's The Scream. And then look, here there is this thing called an iPod. It has 742 rock, heavy metal music in there. Erase all of them. Put in Beethoven's late quartets, a Bach fugue. Okay, if I were to do this, the brother is the head of the house would call an emergency family prayer meeting. And they would say, Brother Ron, I think you could rest better in Motel 6. So I will never do this. Because I know that's not my home. Well, let me tell you, don't be polite with the Lord. If you say, Lord, make yourself at home, he will proceed to make himself at home. In your whole heart, room by room, and so what is already there, because you have lived in your heart, your heart represents you. Your heart is you in action. When you say, I love that, that's your heart. So there's stuff in there that he doesn't like. Well, this again will either happen in us or it won't. By the Lord's mercy to me, more than 20 years ago, he just visited me and indicated to me, 
You got to pray different kinds of prayers. You have received, you have agreed with every item of the ministry. The ministry on organic salvation. But you never prayed about anything. Why don't you pray, Lord, sanctify me. Lord, renew me. Lord, transform me. Lord, conform me to your image. Lord, save me in life. Lord, transform me. Grow in me. Then I don't know how many thousands of times that prayer came out afresh. Lord, today, strengthen me with power into the inner man. Lord, make your home in my heart. Fill me unto all the fullness of God and do this for the church. So that's the fourth line of development. And then the fifth is related to two verses in Ephesians 4. We know at the end of 4.22, we have the expression, the deceit. So that's personified. The, perceit, the deceit there really is the devil. And put on the new man, which was created to go, according to God in righteousness and holiness of the reality. One characteristic of the old man, you just see it among celebrities, entertainers, the talking heads. There's no reality. There's no genuineness. No sincerity. No truthfulness. No honesty. Where is it? The old man is just permeated with the deceit. But the new man is created according to God. Because the divine life and element of the constituents of the new man. And it has righteousness and holiness of the reality. And the reality is the triune God himself with his word. The simplest definition is 1 John 5, 6. The spirit is the reality. The Lord told us in John 16... The spirit of reality will guide you into all the reality. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Not to make you feel that you failed, but to awaken you. Have you ever prayed? Or if you prayed, when was the last time you prayed? For the Lord to cause the spirit of reality to guide you into all the reality. I can just testify to you. This is the Lord's mercy. This is altogether his mercy drawing me. But many years ago. It came to my consciousness. And I had to tell the Lord. I just hunger. For reality. My whole being just craves. Reality. I know so much Lord. I want the reality. So the spirit of reality, the Lord said, he will guide you into all the reality. 
He will bring you into the reality and bring the reality into you. Even when David was repenting of his terrible sin of adultery and murder. In his repentance in John 51, he said to the Lord, You desire truth in the inward parts. Where is reality in the American society today? Where is genuineness? Where are real people? People who really care for you and respect you and receive you, not pretend to have this big, wide, liberal heart that's false. You can read their being. You know what's in them. But the new man is a corporate reality. And in this same chapter, Paul says something really mysterious. After he speaks of the vanity of the mind and in verse 18, being darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance which is in them because of the hardness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work out all uncleanness and greediness, but you did not so learn Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him as the reality is in Jesus. The reality is in Jesus. I recommend that note to you, perhaps after the meeting. What is the reality in Jesus? So Jesus as the God-man, He was a man of reality because he did everything in God, with God, through God, and for God. And when God mingles with humanity and that human being expresses God, that's reality. And in the four Gospels, you see the reality in Jesus in every situation. He knew how to relate to every kind of person. So when the religious men caught a couple committing adultery, they brought only the woman to be stoned. The law required both would be judged. But they were biased, so they only brought the woman, said, we caught her doing this. And then we see the reality of Jesus exhibited He wrote something on the sand. And then he said, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. And they went out, starting with the oldest to the youngest. Because the oldest, if they reflect upon it, realize, oh, my whole history is sin. The young tend to be kind of self-righteous until they have more light. Then the Lord asked her, who is here? To condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. But then he said, go and sin no more. Then later that chapter reads, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. But in Matthew 23, 
He's rebuking the religious hypocrites. That is also reality. When he turned over the money changers' tables in the temple with a whip of cords, he said, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise. That's the reality. There's a person living in you who is the reality. Even he said of himself, I am the reality. So these are lines of development that take place simultaneously. All five take place simultaneously. And this can happen if we learn from the Lord how to be with him, how to have a hidden life with him. And this might encourage you. I live in Southern California, so the weather's usually quite good. For more than 20 years, I lived very close to a park. I would get up early in the morning and prock. That's pray walk, okay? And one day, this is a long, long time ago, I just talked to the Lord. I said, Lord, I really don't know how to be with you. I need you to train me how to be with you. To begin with, you can see me, and I can't see you. Lord, will you please guide me and show me how to be with you? Because all these five lines have to take place in each one of us personally for the one new man. So I just had the leading, I believe the burden, to lay them before you. And now in 15 minutes, we can go through this outline and the main points will come out. And then there'll be a good 25 minutes for your response. The one new man and the Lord's recovery. <clears throat> there are some unfamiliar with this term. We use the word recovery to mean that at the beginning, <clears throat> God had ordained certain teachings and practices according to the apostles' teaching. And although the churches established by them were not perfect, they did begin by following the way God ordained. Then through the centuries, there was departure, there was deformity, there was corruption. So for convenience, we can say 500 years ago, a recovery began with the recovery of the truth concerning justification. So recovery means something was there in the beginning, it was lost, and now it's being restored. So the one new man, we have to view also from the aspect of recovery as well as from the aspect of God's purpose. God's goal in his recovery is to recover Christ as everything to us. So Christ is the person. Christ is my life. Christ is my reality. Christ is my newness. Christ is my genuineness. Christ is my righteousness. Christ is my holiness. Christ is my love. Christ is my humility. Christ is my real food. Christ is my sunlight. Christ is resurrection life. Christ is grace. He really is. God's intention is to make Christ his son the center of his economy and also to make him everything to all the believers. 
God has determined that in his economy, one person, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, must be everything. Matthew 17, 5. This is my beloved son in whom I delight. So God wants to make his son everything in you and to you. The corollary of this, or the corresponding truth of this is, if he's everything, then you and I are nothing. Let me tell you, it's such a relief to be nothing. It's such a relief to have nothing and know you can't do anything. Because this puts you in a position where you can just let Christ flow into you to be whatever you need in any given situation. In their recovery, the Lord is recovering Christ himself in our experience. So we're growing up into Christ. We're being renewed by Christ entering our mind. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. Christ is making his home in our heart. Christ is the reality. In his recovery, the Lord is seeking to recover the all-inclusive Christ as the life-giving spirit who imparts himself into the believers and makes them his living body, the one new man. So Christ was resurrected with a glorified body of flesh and bones. That's a fact. Read Luke 24. But we're also told that Christ is in us that Christ is making his home in our heart, and none of us have the feeling that a person with flesh and bones is moving around inside of us. Then how can Christ be in us? The mystery is two aspects to his resurrection. One aspect, he was resurrected bodily. The other aspect, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, in resurrection he became the life-giving spirit, and now he is in us, wanting to impart himself into us. So if we know this, then when you come to him, when you have the time, you just come to him with the realization, Lord, I'm coming to you under the cleansing of your blood, and I'm opening to you for you to impart yourself into me. Amen. Here I am as an open vessel. It's so simple. Our truth is profound. Our life practice is elegantly simple. Lord, here I am. I'm an open vessel. I open my whole heart to you, all my inward parts. Dispense yourself into me. Impart yourself to me. Work yourself into me. And Lord, do this for the church. Do this for the new man. Two, what is being recovered today is God's economy. God's economy is his plan and arrangement to fulfill his eternal purpose by dispensing himself into us, which is centered on God's unique work. I refer to this, to work himself in Christ into his chosen people, making himself one with them. So this is his central work. So why don't we cooperate with his central work, not by working, but by saying, Lord, I give you today. Continue your central work in me today. And Lord, by the way, I'd like to remind you of all the dear saints in the New England area. Would you do that in them all day today? Would you do that in my wife and my children? 
in all the saints. Will you do that in all the believers, wherever they are? It's so simple. You can do that in the shower. I know, I don't know how the females can multitask. My daughter made it very clear. Dad, you can just do one thing at a time. You can do this, and you can do this. I can't multitask, but I can pray while I'm in the shower. I can offer little prayers. I don't know if that's multitasking. And even when I'm shaving, I can just say, Lord, grow in me today. It's, it's not religious. It's not a form. It's not a ritual. You're conversing with a person, praying these simple prayers that he loves to hear. We must have a clear vision of God's economy and be governed, controlled, and directed by this vision. Again, God's plan and arrangement. So he's arranging your whole life. And let's, ad let's admit we don't necessarily happy with certain arrangements initially. But he knows how to arrange everything so he can dispense himself into us. We are here to carry out God's economy and his recovery, which is absolutely different from today's religion and which cannot be reconciled with Christianity. By Christianity, we do not mean Christians. We do not mean persons. We mean the organized religious system in all and any of its forms. That's what we mean by Christianity. We don't mean the truth. We don't mean fellow believers. Wherever they are, we recognize them. We receive all as the Lord has received us. But I made a decision one Thursday night in June of 1966. I had graduated from Princeton Seminary two years before. The Lord put me in a wilderness for two years to deal with me, to prepare me for the recovery. I began to reconsider everything. And I thought, do I make a lateral transfer from the denomination I'm in to another one? And I realized, no, they're all the same. No place is fully open to the Spirit. No place will allow the Lord to do whatever he wants. And I made a decision that Thursday night, I am leaving the entire system of Christianity. I have the Lord's leading to move from where I am, follow the Spirit out to California. The Lord wants me to be in California. When I get there, I'll find out why he led me there. And I went to California, ended up living temporarily in Oakland, met some saints from the church in San Francisco, 98% Chinese. You might as well know the truth. I'm not Chinese. <laughs> but it never mattered. It never mattered. The racial, the ethnic, the cultural, the national composition never married. I had only one question. Is this the church? Is this the church in San Francisco meeting on the ground of oneness? If it is, then I am home to stay. So this is what we mean by Christianity. The goal of the Lord's recovery is to bring forth the one new man. See, to bring him forth. To be manifested. To be lived out. What the Lord has been doing and what he is now doing in his recovery is bringing forth the one new man with himself as the life and the person 
for God's expression. This is what he's doing. He is going to restore the 40 years the locusts have eaten. He's going to nullify every negative thing the enemy has done. And in resurrection, he will bring forth the new man. Amen. And maybe, it, maybe New England is a challenging place. How wonderful. God likes challenges. It gives him an excellent opportunity to manifest his wisdom and the power of his resurrection life. Amen. Oh, I love point B. The one new man will usher in the kingdom of God and will bring Christ the King back to the earth. Amen. The Lord is coming for the bride. And the bride must first be, the church must first be the body in reality and the one new man fulfilling God's purpose. Then there'll be the sense the bride is ready and we can pray and say, Lord, we did it. We did it. We're ready. He would say, I know. I know, my dear. I see your beauty. I see your maturity. I see your wedding dress. I know you're a warrior. I know you're one corporate person. I'm coming. Your love will draw me back. I believe this. So many Christians are studying prophecy and trying to find fulfillment in the world situation. They ignore the matter. He's coming for us as the bridegroom. He cannot come until the bride is ready. And the bride will only be ready when the new man has fulfilled God's purpose. Amen. Point four is very touching. What was divided and scattered in the old man was fully recovered in the new man. We're witnessing this in our society today. The division, the enmity, the hostility, the labeling, the branding, the bias, the hatred. That's the old man. What was divided and scattered is now being recovered. Read Revelation 5.10. You see God's heart. That verse says he made them a kingdom and priests to God and he called them from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. God is no respecter of persons. He's calling people to himself all over the earth from every race, every culture, every social class, every nation, calling them into himself. Then when we're all in himself, then one person will be growing in us and Christ will be all and in all. The created human differences are according to God, purposely for his corporate expression, they will remain. But inwardly, all the enmity is gone. All the discord is over. All the division has been terminated. We are one corporate person. I believe such a reality exists. And I believe such a reality will be manifested in the United States. And in the most challenging part of the earth, in Europe, you will see the one new man brought forth in Europe. No Germans, no Greeks, no French, no Britons, no Finns, no Russians, but Christ all and in all. Amen. In the old man, man was divided and scattered. But in the new man, man is gathered and made one. In the world, the more different and individualistic a person is, the better. This is contrary to God's economy, which is to gather, to unite, 
and to make one. To put off the old man is to put off the divided and scattered man. To put on the new man is to put on the gathered and one new man. That my children from infancy, this is just part of their human development. They had to learn the spiritual reality later. From their infancy, they grew up in an interracial, multicultural situation. Not only in the church life, but in our home. All kinds of people staying with us, receiving hospitality, living with us. I'm so happy for them. Them to realize this is how we live. This is how your parents are. This is the kind of persons we are. We are in one new man. Amen. This unique person developing on the earth. In the one new man, all of us are one man. The requirement that everyone be one man, only one man, is exceedingly high. True. For the existence of the one new man, we need to rise up together to take Christ as our person. We'll have a message on this. I can't do it for you. I can't deny yourself. That might be a crime, right? <laughs> I, I come to one and I, I say, I'm going to deny yourself. So you take Christ as your person. So if you won't deny yourself, then no one can do it. We just have to live the church life along with you and your undenied self. We still love you, but it's very clear you're in yourself. You won't let it be touched. You're not willing to deny it. So what can we do? But it's a very different. When you meet a sister, you meet a brother that has light on the self and is willing to deny it and let the cross terminate it and let Christ be the person. Well, they're living the practical church life. You just sense, here's an ordinary human being, but Christ is living in this person. Those who are gifted should take this as their goal and perfect the saints in taking Christ as their person. Gifted means the gifts mentioned in Ephesians 4. Now is the time for God to accomplish his purpose, to perfect the one new man who will come into full existence on earth. These words were spoken 40 years ago. But they're fresh now. Now, November 4th, 2017, is the time for God to accomplish his purpose, to perfect the new man. So some need to pray for this. Some sisters should be burdened to pray for this. Lord, cause the new man to come into full existence on the earth. The world situation has been raised up for the goal of the one new man. Everything that the Lord is doing in this present age is to usher in the practical existence <coughs> of the one new man. The advances of civilization and technology are not merely for the world, but are for the one new man. So iPhones are for the one new man. <clears throat> They're also used by demons, but we use them for the one new man. <clears throat> now there is the possibility that the saints in all the churches, 
in their environmental circumstances will become the one new man. We're all in environmental circumstances. So what will happen? Will we just go through the circumstances? Just waiting for them to end? Praying for endurance? Or will we open to the Lord and allow him to produce the one new man? We, we all know circumstances. I know it is to have a direct confrontation with death. So do many of you. This is common to the human race and its sufferings. But do we just go through these things and Christ does an increase? We're not renewed. We're not transformed. We don't know why these things happen. I don't dare give an opinion. I just know that I don't want to waste any more days, Amen. any more opportunities. Lord, this is my situation right now. I open my being to you. Build yourself into me and do it for the one new man. I'm not here to be a spiritual hero. I don't want to be different. I don't want to be outstanding. I just want to be a common part of the one new man. In the last days of this age, before the late Lord will be able to return, we must see the one body and the one new man. When the one new man is perfected, that will be the time of the Lord's coming. And the perfected new man will be his bride. Amen. To tell you the truth, I'm not young, but I'm here with you this morning with a living hope. And my living hope is that I'll remain here with you all and see this happen. Amen. To see the new man come forth and have the realization the bride is ready and then we'll pray with one mouth. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, bridegroom. Your bride is ready to marry you. Please pray for a minute. Then we have about 20 minutes for some sharing.